good morning and Merry Christmas again. Good to see some of you last night and then again this morning. What a treat. Um, how many of you have opened gifts for Christmas already? Okay. Most, anybody not opened gifts yet? Oh, boy. So you're, start, you're probably thinking, get along with this sermon. We got things to do, right? I understand. Uh, you're in trouble. Uh, I want you to think for a minute about your favorite Christmas gift, just one that just kind of sticks out in your mind. Maybe you got it this year. Maybe it was years ago. The, the one that comes to mind for me is when me and my brothers were kids, and we received an Atari gaming system. I mean, that was a big deal. I think it was, it was for sure the first gaming system we'd ever had, and maybe there was other gaming systems before that. I don't know, but it was spectacular. And I remember uh, the game Pong. Remember Pong? Okay, two vertical bars and a box that went around like a tennis game. Mind-numbing, right? And we played it for hours like it was the best thing we'd ever seen in our life. So I want, I want you to think about whatever that gift may be that stands out to you, but the reality is even the greatest gifts we've ever received probably disappear in the attic or end up in a garage sale at some point, right? I wish we still had that old Atari system, but uh, it's long gone by now. Everything has a shelf life. Nothing lasts forever, which actually isn't completely true. Because this morning, I want to talk about a gift that does last forever, uh, a gift that has been given to every single person in this room. And hopefully, by the time we finish this morning, you recognize that it is the greatest gift that you've ever received. So the next time someone asks that question to you, you'll be able to think about this gift that we will talk about this morning. I don't know about your traditions when it comes to opening gifts as a family, but our family likes to sit around in the living room together and we just kind of take turns just in enjoying gifts that have been given and gifts that have been received. And so what I want you to do this morning is just to kind of imagine being in the living room with God and he's given you a gift. And you hold that gift from God in your hands and you're waiting to open it to see what's inside. And as you do, I want you to recognize that as you hold that gift, you have a choice. But because you can choose to just set that gift aside and choose not to open it at all. Or you can choose to take the gift and appreciate what it is, but then kind of set it on the shelf and think, I'll just get to that later. What I hope you'll do this morning is that you'll accept that gift that you'll open it up, see what's inside, and just embrace the joy of what you have been given. Because this gift that God has given you, it doesn't have a shelf life. It's something that really only gets better with time. And I hope that as we open up this gift together this morning, that you'll be able to see how it is more than you could ever ask or imagine. So before we look at God's word together, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are grateful as we celebrate Christmas together as families. It really is a precious treat to be in a situation where we can give gifts to each other, that we can receive gifts from one another. Um, as we were reminded as a family this weekend, it, it is a greater joy to give than it is to receive, unless it's a gift we receive from you. 
then it is something that is more than we can ask or imagine. Lord, help us to appreciate that more significantly this morning than maybe we have before now. Uh, Just to really recognize, embrace, rejoice in the gift that you have given us. We pray this in your name. Amen. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. I want to read together beginning in verse 11 where it says this. Verse 11 of Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. I'm going to pause there. This may seem like kind of an odd verse for Christmas, but verse 11 actually tells us what Christmas is all about. The day when the grace of God appeared, bringing salvation to all men. In fact, someone were to ask you, what does Christmas really mean? I think you can quote this verse and give a very good answer. Oh, Christmas? Oh, that's the day that the grace of God appeared and brought salvation to all mankind. I think it'd be a wonderful way to explain what we celebrate on a day like today. But when we stop and think about it, it's really a profound statement. Because it says that that grace appeared, that it's something that we can see. It's interesting, isn't it? It's like saying joy that was revealed or kindness that appeared. It should kind of stir within us that question of what does grace look like? How can we see it? John actually talks about it in his gospel as he's describing how Jesus is the word that became flesh and dwelt among us, right? We sang that in one of the songs this morning. He goes on in verse 14 of that same passage and he says, We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, full of grace and truth. He goes on in verse 16 and he says, For from his fullness we have all received. Okay, Remember I told you every person in this room has received this gift, right? Well, here's how we see that's true. It says, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. That's the gift you hold in your hands. It says, for the law was given through Moses and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. John is helping us see that when grace appeared, it became visible in Jesus Christ. In the same way Moses revealed the law of God, Jesus reveals the grace of God. And from his grace, we all receive the gift of grace upon grace upon grace. That's the gift you've received. That's what you hold in your hands. Given to everyone, it says, to all men, regardless of age, regardless of gender, regardless of social status, regardless even of the magnitude of sin that you believe you've committed. There is nothing that disqualifies anyone from receiving the gift of God's grace. A grace that appeared in Jesus, bringing salvation to all people. It's a life-changing gift, far above anything you could ask or imagine. And we're going to see how that is true as we continue. Look at verse 12. Paul continues and he says, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. This 
verse now begins to describe how as we unpack this gift of grace and begin to apply it to our life, how it actually transforms who we are. Some of you may have gotten clothes for Christmas. Anybody get any clothes for Christmas? It's a popular gift in our home, right? Getting some clothes, new shirt, new jeans, something like that. But we all know that change, uh, clothes just kind of change our outward appearance. It doesn't anything, do anything to affect us on the inside. Well, well, grace is different because it actually works from the inside out. That's the gift, and that's the way God works. Paul says it instructs us. But that doesn't mean that grace now gives you a list of rules that you are required to follow. Grace doesn't change your behavior. It doesn't change necessarily what you look like on the inside. Remember, it works from the inside out. It changes the desires of your heart. Desires that are reshaped through your relationship with Jesus Christ. And he says, it begins by saying no to ungodliness and worldly desires. When you think about ungodliness, I want you to think about your outward behavior. So this, in essence, is the sin that you can see, okay? Ungodliness. And then worldly desires are more like your your thoughts and intentions. These are things that are hidden inside of you. Sin that resides that may not be noticeable or visible at first. And this is actually a good thing, that grace comes to reveal our sin. I've shared this before. This is a true story. When I was working at the hospital, I worked with patients who have diabetes. And there was a patient that I treated who, because of the diabetes, had no feeling in their feet. And so what had happened, they were walking around the house and happened to step on a tack but never knew it. So they continued to walk on that tack for weeks and weeks without ever recognizing that anything had ever happened until it had become so necrotic and infected that they smelled it. And unfortunately, that person lost their foot. So when we think about grace revealing our sin, at first we might think, well, that's not good news. Well, it's kind of like being able to feel pain. It's really good news. Because you recognize when something that exists that has ultimately the power to destroy you. You see, Jesus leads us into freedom by helping us see what enslaves us. He reveals our lust and gives us a desire for purity. He reveals our anger and gives us a desire for peace. Our our life is changed from the inside out as as grace actually transforms the very desires of our heart. The gift of God's grace instructs us. It leads us to, to say no to things that are destructive and to say yes to things that are good. He goes on and says in verse 12, to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. So I want us to kind of unpack what that means. To live sensibly is this idea of having self-control. So instead of being ruled by worldly desires, we have a righteous restraint. Romans chapter 12 verse 9 says, We abhor what is evil 
and we cling to what is good. So one of the ways that the gift of God's grace works to transform our life is that it begins to allow us to become increasingly repulsed by the sin that so easily entangles us. We abhor what is evil. We cling to what is good. Which doesn't mean we do this by some self-effort or, or, or resolution. This is not the, the, the will or determination to make a difference. This is not behavior management. Our restraint comes through our relationship with Jesus Christ. Because, don't miss this, the deeper our love for Jesus, the less our desire for sin. The deeper our love for Jesus, the less our desire for sin. So we don't need to go out and and try to have the willpower to just stop doing that thing that we always end up doing and we don't want to do. And just somehow try to manage our behavior to overcome that problem. It just doesn't work. But I promise you this, if you will go into your relationship with Jesus and grow deeper in your understanding of who he is and how he sees you, and you grow deep in that love with him, then I promise you it will lessen increasingly over time that desire towards sin. Paul says we live sensibly, righteous, or we live sensibly Righteously and godly in this present age. My version says righteously. Some of your translations may say upright. I think that's actually a a more helpful word because to to live sensibly points to our self-control, how we relate to ourselves. Being upright points more to our integrity or how we relate to other people. In the original language, the word literally means to conform with justice. So it's this idea of being truthful and fair in how you relate to other people. So being sensible is how we relate to ourselves. Being upright is how we relate to others. And then in the end, being godly is how we relate to God. So what this is trying to tell us is, look, grace changes everything. When when we fully embrace the gift of God's grace, it changes everything. It changes who we are changes how we relate to others, and it changes our relationship with God. Grace upon grace upon grace. Because he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. When he gives you this gift of grace, he, he never takes it back. That grace is what helps us to, to recognize our sin, and it actually gives us a desire for something different. I don't know if this has ever happened to you. It may have happened over the holidays where you've been in conversation with somebody that you care about, maybe a family or a friend, and you're visiting, and and there's something that kind of slips out of your mouth that as you even speak the words, before you can get them back, you realize that might have been hurtful. See, grace is what helps you recognize that. And not only that, grace gives you the desire to then say, you know, I think that came out wrong. And it might have been hurtful. I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? This is really what I desire. See, grace is what changes by helping us recognize when we fall short, giving us the desire for something different. And as we'll see, it gives us the power to now walk in a new way. Let's look at how it continues in verse 13. 
It says, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. I want you to notice something here, and I think this is really interesting. That when we started, we talked about how grace first appeared, and we're talking about Christmas, right? When grace appeared and brought salvation to all men. But here in verse 13, we learn about a a different appearance, something unique in comparison to the appearance of grace. It says the appearance of of glory, of, of the glory of a great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. First was the appearance, Jesus brought the appearance of God's grace, and then Jesus brings the appearance of God's glory. And here's something that's important. The order matters. The order matters. Because the appearance, the absence of God's grace, uh, or, or, or the absence of God's grace before the appearance of God's glory leads to condemnation of sin without forgiveness of sin. Grace has to come first. Because we know that God's uh, glory is the revelation of God's holiness, isn't it? It's the beauty of his purity being put on display. And sinful man cannot exist in the presence of God's holiness and his glory. Grace appeared first in order to purify a people who could stand in the presence of God's glory. You see that? Verse 14 says, Jesus gave himself to redeem us from every lawless deed. It's another way of saying he purified us. It's what Hebrews 10.10 tells us. We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. We are pure Because we have complete forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Remember, we talked about this last week, how we are twice his, right? He made us and he bought us. We are purified as a people of his own possession. His grace reshapes the desires of our hearts so that, as this verse tells us, we are zealous for good deeds. Because we don't do good deeds in order to earn God's favor. Okay? We walk in obedience because of the assurance of God's acceptance. His grace reshapes the desires of our heart. Our good deeds are the fruit of his good work. It's the ongoing effect of grace in our lives. Ephesians 2.10 explains this this way. He says, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand so that we can walk in them. Do you see how this grace has the the power to transform our lives by, one, recognizing the sin that so easily entangles us? That's the effect of grace. But that grace continues to work by giving us a desire for something different, And not only just the desire, the power to then walk in the good works that he prepared beforehand, saying no to ungodliness and worldly desires, saying yes to live sensibly and righteously or upright. 
and godly in this present age. Verse 14 goes on to say, and we look forward to the blessed hope in the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, it's only because of the gift of grace and the work of salvation that we then have hope in the assurance of his appearance in glory. Because without his grace, being in the appearance of God's glory is not a good thing. Remember Isaiah, when he stood in the presence of God's glory, and he said, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And so God symbolically took that burning coal and touched it. That's grace. He touched him with his grace so that he could be purified to be in the presence of God's holiness. That's what the gift of grace and the work of salvation does in each of our lives. We look forward to the blessed hope of the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. As we talked about last week, this is when our redemption is made complete. It's when this present age passes away with with all the sin and corruption that exists in it, and the new creation begins, right? No more sin, no more suffering, because Jesus makes all things new. So, on a Christmas day, when we rejoice in the appearance of grace, when he brought salvation to all mankind, may we also look forward to the appearance of his glory when we see our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, face to face. Knowing that until that day, his grace is what sustains us. As we rely on the promises of his forgiveness, as we stand in the assurance of his acceptance. See, that's what it means to live and to open up and to embrace and rejoice that gift of grace that you have been given. Because like I said in the beginning, you, you do have a choice. You're, you're holding that gift in your hand, and you can choose not to open it. But just know that when we reject the gift of God's grace, we forfeit the hope of salvation. Because to live apart from Jesus now is the decision to live apart from him for all eternity. To, to live in an enslavement to sin instead of walking in the freedom of his forgiveness. We can reject the gift of God's grace, but we can also set it on the shelf. And I think this is more common in what we see today, even in the church. Knowing that it's there, but never really applying it to our daily lives. Relying on our good deeds instead of trusting in God's gift. But there's no freedom and if you've ever done this in your life, you know this to be true. There is no freedom in a religion of self-righteousness. It's enslaving. In Titus chapter 3, verse 4 says, But when the kindness of our Lord and love of our God and Savior appeared, he saved us. Here it is. Not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy, or we might say because of his grace. Salvation only comes through surrender, accepting a gift that we don't deserve, believing that Jesus has done for us what we could not do for ourselves, even going so far as embracing our weakness 
so that we can rely on his strength, knowing that apart from him we can do nothing. It's why God reminds Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, he says, look, Paul, look, Michael, look, Carrie, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in your weakness. And we should respond like Paul does in response to this word from the Lord affirming his grace. He says, then most gladly, I will therefore rather boast in my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I'm well content with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. In other words, life doesn't have to work out perfect to be good. Because I can experience the gift of God's grace even in the most difficult of circumstances in life. God's grace is a gift that never goes away. And it only gets better with time. So may we live in God's grace. Finding security in his acceptance. Hope in his promises. Strength in his presence. That's the gift of God's grace. Helping us recognize our sin reshaping the desires of our hearts so we want something different and giving us the power by his grace to walk in the good works that he prepared beforehand so that we can bring glory and praise to him. That's our response to receiving and rejoicing in the gift of his grace. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful as we share gifts with each other and we enjoy the opportunity to give and receive that we think back to the greatest gift the world has ever known. The day when grace appeared and brought salvation to all mankind. That's Christmas. That's the day we received the gift of your grace. And Lord, I thank you that that grace is what opens our eyes to see the sin that so easily entangles us. And not only that, it gives us a desire for something different And not only that, it gives us the power to to walk in a new life that you've made possible, saying no to worldly desires, saying yes to what is good and right and true. And so, Lord, help us to live daily in this gift of grace, to not set it on the shelf and try to operate on our own strength, but in fact to rejoice in our weaknesses because through our weaknesses and your grace, our power is made strong. Father, thank you for the gift of your grace, the love of the Savior, whose birth and life we celebrate today. We pray this in your name. Amen. Hey, thank you guys for being here this morning and just beginning your Christmas day by worshiping the reason that we are celebrating it in the first place, right? The day that grace appeared and brought salvation to all men. And so I pray that as you continue with families today that you will at least at times recall the blessing of God's gift of grace that has been given to each and every person in this room. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for this family. I pray for their day. As they go and enjoy time with each other, that they would be reminded of your gift of grace, that they would rejoice in the hope of salvation that you brought to all men the day that you were born. Father, thank you for your love and kindness, your mercies that are new every morning. Be all praise and glory to your name. Amen. Have a great day. Merry Christmas.